welcome back to the Unsettling Knowledge Podcast. My name is Melina and we are back with part two of our inclusion series where we speak with students who are refugees and hear about their experience. Today we are joined by our guest Idris, who I am so grateful could join us today as he reflects on his experience relocating to the Netherlands, some of the challenges he faced, the use of the term refugee, and his views on the political climate. So first of all, welcome. And if you want to introduce yourself, um, first of all, for everyone. Well, thank you very much. And um, like I find this is like uh, the most difficult question all the time because uh, I don't know what I can speak about, but uh, like for the context, uh, my name is Idris Al-Hassan. I, I come from Sudan and I live here in the Netherlands for um, almost four years now. And my background, um, educationally, uh, I have a bachelor degree in electronics and telecom and also MBA um, specialized in marketing. And I have worked in uh, the fields of telecom, uh, hospitality and environmental engineering uh, for the past not. 10 years before coming to the Netherlands. Wow, congratulations. That's um, very insane. <laughs> well, did you did you get you. those achievements in Sudan then? No, so I studied, like I did my bachelor in Egypt. Okay, and nice. uh, yeah, I did my MBA in Sudan. Yes, correct. Do you speak Arabic then? I speak Arabic, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Do you as well? No, I'm learning, uh, but I'm learning the Levantine Arabic. Okay. Um, so I think it's different to Egypt, right? Yeah, I speak a very neutral Arabic because uh, I am from Sudan. I lived in Egypt and I also like lived and worked in the UAE and Qatar. Uh, and because we have like so many different um, nationalities there and also like uh, very uh, different accents. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like... Everybody speaks this very neutral accent where, like, everybody can understand each other. I see, so, I yeah. see. That's very interesting. Um, so did you come from Sudan to the Netherlands or was it straight from Egypt? How was uh, so I, before coming to the Netherlands, I was working in Qatar. Uh, but, um, like, obviously I came here as an asylum seeker. And, um, yeah, there was, like, a turn of events that um, actually led me to come here so i basically came uh, from from qatar from doha and how was it when you first kind of came to the netherlands and the process of sort of seeking asylum well the thing is like i used to come to the netherlands since like 10 years ago like almost every year so um yeah it uh, it wasn't planned and luckily because I've always had like a uh, Schengen visa in my passport, like from the Netherlands. That was like uh, what allowed me uh, to come here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite interesting, right? Because like I always came as a tourist and I've had like the best experience always. And even when I came and applied for asylum, it was like kind of, yeah, it was like a very hard transition, you know, from like carrying 
the label of like a tourist to a refugee and then you basically um um well because you are labeled you tend to like basically view the the world through a very different lens and that was quite interesting actually what was this lens then that you were viewing it through like what kind of changes and things did you notice well i, I it's basically the way people perceive you right because uh if you start a conversation with anyone the very first question people ask here is like oh so why are you here or like what are you doing and when i say that i'm a refugee then um i feel like this very uh different um attitude um like against what what i used to feel back then when i was a tourist so uh and it, it's it's only natural right because I mean, this is how our brains function, right? Uh, this is how stereotypes work. And uh, yeah, so even when I say that and then we go further in the conversation, I usually get like the, the comments like, uh, well, you, you, you sound quite different, like you're not the typical refugee. Mm. And that was like also very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Was this yeah. very common to happen then when you were yes, speaking? Yeah, yeah. 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 Were you in a, a, a camp, is it, before you found housing? I was, yeah. Um, but I was also, like, fortunate to kind of, like, uh, have a place outside the camp where, like, I did not uh, fully reside there, but I was there quite often. The process of being in the camp also, I think that was, like, um, uh, hands down the worst experience I've ever had in my life because... Um, yeah, the 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 setup itself is like uh, quite unique, right? Like you have all those refugees sitting in a camp. Uh, I've lived in several camps who were actually like former military bases. So you have this feeling of being in a prison and you're also like in a secluded area. Um, and um, yeah, of course, uh, like the the general environment within the camp is like uh, very depressing to see the least like um, because everybody's like in this um, like limbo, you know, they're like, trying to figure out what's going to happen in their future. Uh, people are coming also with all sorts of trauma, of course. And at one camp, we actually, that was like quite, I mean, it was it was very devastating, but it was funny at the same time because like one one day I woke up to the the sound of like very heavy artillery, and um, I was just thinking. I mean, like if you have people who are coming uh, from uh, areas uh, where they were experiencing war, uh, there, there's a lot to say actually about the camps and about like how people are treated and about uh, like yeah that just like you feel that you go to a completely um, like different place I mean it's kind of it's a, it's a whole different reality uh, and uh, it was kind of interesting to to experience but I wouldn't say it was a pleasant experience. Were you 
having your own room or was it sharing room usually the rooms are shared like by it uh, depends on the camp but usually it's like four people in the room okay well. um like the best one that i've experienced it was two people in the room mm-hmm. were you allowed to sort of socialize outside of the camps and things like who is it that is sort of in charge of these camps i mean um in theory like you were uh, allowed to leave the camp some camps like you have you could like leave for the day or some you could leave like for a week and come back but generally um because like these camps are not like situated in like uh big cities usually it's like small towns so you would not feel comfortable walking around in the city uh like uh yeah usually you just like get like a, a stare or like a weird look mm-hmm. i remember once and I, i attempted to go and sit in a cafe and um i was the only one who like got their order along with their uh bill basically so like i had to pay immediately oh okay yeah so these kind of experiences that like yeah does not allow you to to go outside but also like most people they don't have the means to actually uh go around cities and stuff like that yeah mm. so you said you were there for about three to four months uh no my whole my total camp experience lasted 11 months wow Yeah, and I was, like, one of the lucky ones. Uh, my process was, like, uh, super fast. Like, I know people who stayed in camps for more than two, two years. Wow, more than three years. Yeah. yeah. Before you arrived in the Netherlands, did you know that that was going to be the process? I had no idea, no, because, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't planning it, and it just happened. It For me, it was just, like... Um, Yeah, I was like in a situation where like I was scared for my life and that was like like the only solution that I could think of. But I had no idea that this would be the process. And judging from my previous visit to the Netherlands, I assumed that it was going to be like way more uh, quick and humane than it actually was. Mm-hmm. And then how was it then? after you left the camps to deal with the government and the process in that? Well, so the process afterwards, like it wasn't, um, I mean, I kind of waited for a house for about five, six months, Mm -hmm. which was not very long. I think like the government of Amsterdam actually does like a very, extraordinary job when it comes to finding housing for refugees because like they they give them priorities so usually like the waiting time for amsterdam is to get a house is like somewhere within like eight to like 12 years but for refugees you get that like way more quicker so mm-hmm. it's month to like a year maximum Mm-hmm. And then how did it feel, obviously, when you left the camps? Um, it was it was a bit like, uh, I, I don't know, to even, uh, I don't know how to describe it because, I mean, 
going through the whole experience, I think something changed within me. So I was like kind of happy that I, I was done with the process, but then I think I'm still like in recovery and trying to take in everything and yeah, basically find my place. How long ago was it that you got your house then? I got my house in end of October 2019 and I like kind of settled in by early uh, December 2019. And what changed for you after you kind of got your house and moved out of that area? Yeah, I think I was just like trying to kind of settle in a little bit and um, like see where I want to go. I was like working on different stuff also back then uh, because like here it's like a little bit it's like a new system for me and I wanted to try to uh, start like a, a master's program but then yeah I applied the first time I was rejected and then I was advised to kind of like uh, try to like improve my theoretical and practical knowledge and when I tried to kind of um, take certain courses, the system here is basically if you are not enrolled at the university, then uh, you're basically treated as like, uh, I forgot the name, but uh, basically someone who's an outsider and taking a course. And uh, the whole cost for the course, including the exams, it's basically... Uh, the same amount of tuition that you pay for one year. It's like a little bit over like 13,000 euros. So obviously I needed to take a couple of courses and that uh, was not a budget that I was prepared for. So I kind of uh, convinced the university to let me just attend some classes without taking the exams or uh, I would just like pay for the exams. And I started doing that already, but then COVID hit and everything um, migrated to like an, an online scheme. I wasn't able to go and uh, attend classes uh, any longer. So yeah, that, uh, that didn't really uh, go anywhere. Was the university um, like helpful in trying to provide a way you to um, go to classes or anything like that? Not really, no. I mean, um, I I think part of it is that um, it's a little bit bureaucratic, and the other part is I think also like I was like coming with a very unique situation, so nobody knew what to do with it. And yeah, I think that didn't help. But I would not say that the university have tried to help like they yeah basically kind of um didn't did not make things clear like even like when i got rejected uh from the masters the first time i asked like what does it mean that i have to kind of work on my my uh my knowledge like which kind of courses do you want me to follow in in particular uh and nobody had like a specific answer to me it was like very ambiguous like just try to 
like better your like understanding and apply again Mm -hmm. but nobody says like okay you have to actually follow this trajectory so you can guarantee like spot next year Mm -hmm. do you feel then that like the university sort of and the government um provided enough support for you to take up these these opportunities as you were kind of trying to relocate here and things not at all no i think um uh they they kind of do not honor any experience that outside of the country mm-hmm. and um yeah it's basically nobody says it to you like uh directly mm-hmm. but from my experience asking other people this is always the case and even like when um when i applied like sometimes they ask for like like a a language uh, test unless I mean like if you're coming from the states or um, uh, a country in Europe you're like automatically admitted but for people who are not then you have to take an English test and even though I studied like in English and my my certificate indicates that my transcripts indicates that they asked me to get like a uh, an acknowledgement from the university saying that the education was in English. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I mean, I, I like, especially for the engineering um, degree, like I have like the course codes of all the courses that I've studied, like in my transcript. So you can just like go online and check like the content of this uh, course. But they're like, no. Yeah, so like my, 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 journey was like I, I applied for the University of Amsterdam two, two times uh, there's another university called the uh, Freie Universiteit here I also applied once I applied to Utrecht once as well and with Utrecht I have a very interesting story so the program that I applied for it was an uh, AI program mm-hmm. and um, I was kind of like sure of being admitted because there is like a pre-masters uh, offered for this program. So I got rejected. And then when I was like, okay, then so like, what's the process for the pre-masters? They're like, no, you're not even eligible for the pre-masters. And I was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm not sure if I understand it well, but I think the pre-masters is for those who are actually uh, the university think or not prepared to take the masters yet. So they kind of like get some courses to be prepared for the masters. But I've never like heard of someone that needs to have a preparation for the pre-master. And they were like, no, this is the case. So I was like, no, this does not fly with me. So I actually appealed to the um, university board and I went there they were very supportive of me and um, yeah and I felt like as if I have a chance but then a couple of weeks later I got a call saying that uh, my appeal like was not uh, like basically honored and I have not received any like official document until today. Like I haven't received an email with the rejection. 
there was not any sort of like correspondence. It was just that phone call. Mm, that's so, so unofficial. Yes. Yeah. Are you planning to reach out to them again? Do you think or? Um, I I don't think so to be honest because now I'm trying to be like a little bit smart about it. Uh, like I also honestly like I don't have the energy uh, to spend in these kind of boxes. I'm, I'm trying to kind of like basically network and uh, see if I can, yeah, basically get to know people who would kind of. Um, uh yeah basically um give me recommendation letters or like it's been like uh, kind of uh, very frustrating for the past like two years to try to get to university and um but it's been it's been like also a humbling experience because like it's very clear that here education is a privilege it's not a right especially like higher education and um I personally have learned from it because I like I come from a privileged background and I took these kind of things for granted. But now it's really interesting to to kind of like see the other side. Yeah, I, I'm surprised even in England we grow up with higher education being so normal. Well, I would say like the UK is like a little bit different, but here um, it's... Um, it's also like, yeah, I, I mean, the OVA, like in particular, has like a, a, a little bit of a problematic history when it comes to like the like yeah, connection to the colonial past and the way they kind of approach issues with diversity. I mean, even if you go to the premises of, of the, um, the university, it, it's very obvious that it's like, um not diverse at all and is preserved for like a specific um like group of people mm-hmm. but also the education system in the netherlands is basically um i mean where you live is where you actually go to school and the good schools are all in the good neighborhoods who are um basically reserved for certain type of people and then when you go to like um, higher education is kind of like a, a manifestation of that and that's also like a, as it's obvious like a means to kind of control wealth as well so you have people who are underprivileged and uneducated and um, it, yeah I mean like I think it's just like a, a I wouldn't go as far as say it is like a sort of social engineering, but it's not really very far from that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel or have you felt like when dealing with sort of universities or government that there's been sort of preconceived notions or stereotypes about you um, kind of without reading your case or without reading your CV or anything? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh like I see it in the society, which is normal, but I think it's also institutionalized, right? Because I mean, there was like, I think a study by the Uber also that uh, if your like last name is not Dutch, then you have like very like fewer chances of getting uh, basically uh, called back by a company. So there is um, 
institutionalized racism here as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also about the expectations, right? So I think uh, refugees are expected to take like very certain jobs that like the Dutch people will not take basically. And some are happy to take these uh, jobs because, I mean, um, they have been through a lot and um, they've had like so little. And I think they just, people just got accustomed to that. Like, so mm-hmm. nobody is aware of their rights and everybody's fed the narrative that, um, yeah, everybody's here and you're being hosted and like the government spends a lot of money on you. So there's this guilt also of like, um, kind of, yeah, I, I have to just do whatever I'm told and not to be like treated equal. And Mm -hmm. I think that's very problematic as well. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're trying to get away from that? Through the, through the work that you're seeking and the university studies that you're seeking? I mean, I'm definitely like viewing this as a learning experience. I eventually know that I can get like uh, where I want to be. It's just a matter of time. But I'm kind of like taking in everything. Like, you know, I'm observing everything that I would like to change in the future. And I want to be involved also in changing this. I mean, um, I, I start by um, like focusing on myself always. Like I, I try to change myself for like the better version of who I am all the time. Mm-hmm. But I hope like in addressing these issues, um, yeah, it lands on like a listening ear at some point. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like people are educated enough about the way that governments um, process um, people who are refugees or the experience of refugees no there's like a very um like small percentage i would say who are like uh, maybe if they are personally interested then they would like try to understand better but for the majority you know i don't think so and and it's also like normal right because again um it's rooted in our biology like uh, as human beings so like one example is like when the war broke the ukraine i mean um there was like a massive support here i mean you see like ukrainian flags all over the place the government response like during a pandemic and a like uh, a recession was absolutely fascinating and i'm I'm quite happy for it as well, mm-hmm. but you can't help but feel like, okay, that is like a very big statement about how different I am, right? Yeah. And um, up till that point, I was kind of like sometimes questioning myself and I'm saying that, or maybe I'm just like seeing things via a very specific lens, mm-hmm. but that made things like very clear. It was just like night and day, like the way they have treated uh, the Ukrainian refugees and it, it's um, it's quiet I, I don't have the word to describe it to be honest but it's kind of it made things obvious I yes. would say 
definitely yeah. I, I think yeah. very clearly and i think what's interesting with that is that they do it very openly they're very open to say yes we are going to help ukrainian refugees as they should as yeah. every country should um but they, they're fast tracking things much quicker than they would do with other refugees um yeah. but they're saying it very proudly as if there is no repercussion or consequence um as if other refugees may not feel a certain way about this um and seeing it did it make you feel a certain way i mean i i was kind of as i told you before i was kind of like i had it at the back of my mind i i seeing it actually it was a relief for me because now like um uh i am not being too hard on someone or like no i don't have to kind of second guess myself like i know now like the system is racist obviously i know that um yeah i mean i haven't seen like any uh syrian or palestinian or yemeni flags lately like hanging out of poles on the contrary like i always um wear the kufia like in support of palestine and i always like get the looks and like uh, kind of um get people talking to me basically in favor of israel so it's uh, and yeah obviously like what happens in palestine and what kind of support they actually give uh especially like the the left-wing parties here who are like all for like um minorities so it makes it kind of easier to function when things are clear yeah. like there's no ambiguity like now it's very clear okay the system is racist and let's see what can we do about that mm -hmm. i think you've really summed that up really well actually um yeah. do you find that just because you mentioned the left-wing parties then do you find them reaching out or speaking about these sort of issues quite a lot in the netherlands um or um, trying to resonate with you um not really because uh, like i mean they speak a lot about refugees mm -hmm. so they're like uh, political parties who are bluntly uh basically um uh, calling for stopping the influx of refugees or actually like deporting people with different uh ethnic backgrounds from the netherlands so it's like also kind of interesting to watch but i think for the left-wing parties like the focus on uh more like um um yeah current issues within the society and less focus on foreign policy mm -hmm. i would say i see so yeah you don't you don't find like topics that uh other than um like basically the composition of society um that are discussed like during during campaigns mm -hmm. throughout sort of your whole experience what would you have found to have made it, the process easier for you either from the community the university or the government um is there anything that you think would have obviously made it a bit more easier i would say some some guidance uh because i was kind of like trying to find my way in the dark for a long time and um yeah being here like like two years of my experience where like through the pandemic and that was basically like 
kind of difficult on everyone. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, maybe I had, I, I have been lucky to have some friends to kind of lean on sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm quite actually like happy with the local government. I think they, they, there are like some problems, but I think um, like Amsterdam as a municipality is a way more like uh, accepting mm -hmm. than like the rest of the Netherlands. So I'm kind of like also lucky to be here. Um, but generally there is a lot to, to kind of um, work on and to be improved. Mm -hmm. And if, yeah. if there is something that you wish people in general would, you would want them to know um, about refugees, is there anything you wish they would know? I don't think so, to be honest. I think uh, if you don't like start seeing each other as just human beings without labels, mm -hmm. there is nothing that you can say or do that would educate people mm -hmm. like to do so. Like, I think it's a, it's uh, a matter of like uh, uh, personal growth, I would say. So it's again like moving from this like very uh, primitive brain that kind of favors the in group and is afraid of the out group. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, um, it is very archaic so people don't personally develop to kind of like outgrow this mentality it's kind of difficult to make them to so i would say it's like a very personal journey and um i think those who go through a lot in life they basically um get humbled and they have like more empathy for other people but also themselves mm -hmm. themselves as well because usually those are who are very critical and judgmental of other people they they suffer the same criticism and judgment internally so mm -hmm. um yeah I, I just like hope um people kind of like get out of these like vicious cycles of like projecting things and like um um, yeah, give a lot of room for anger and fear and all those like um, emotions that doesn't take somewhere that would be beneficial for anyone. I think um, from what you're saying, it reminds me of just the fact that maybe sometimes people need to be aware of just the different experiences that people go through. Um, a lot of what we see in media and the narration about what happens isn't always accurate as well and um, I think uh, or at least I hope that you know hearing your story and others as well just sheds a bit more light on the reality for, for some and just opens people's eyes a bit more to also the privilege that they have um, and to be more open to people from everywhere coming and um, making it a more diverse diverse place as Amsterdam already is yeah but 
I I want to thank you very much for sharing everything that you have. Um, well, thank thank you very much. Um, I I I I really feel like I have learned a lot, you know, since I came here. Um, it's been very difficult, but I would not like trade it for anything else because mm-hmm. I think I also like connected to myself like as a person, and uh, I um, yeah I I kind of departed from like black and white thinking and i kind of see everything that is like nuanced now mm-hmm. so um it's been it's been like an amazing experience i would say and uh, it's something and uh, the negation of it but like all at the same time it's <laughs> it's kind of uh, weird but it it kind of is what happened so but I also like want to hold, but want to want to thank you very much for like holding space and uh, being very attentive and like very empathic during the conversation. I felt very comfortable, so thank. You. I think what I I don't know if I managed to kind of seem this way but i i didn't want to seem uh critical nor give credit and i also am very aware that this is my experience and it has nothing to say about like the experiences of like other people so i'm i'm mindful of that and i'm i'm very yeah i i just want to kind of like say it very explicitly if it wasn't kind of like implied um, during our conversation so um, yeah that's that's the only thing that I wanted to say so much to our guest Idris for sharing his thoughts and story with us today we are so grateful he could join us and thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed it and please feel free to check out the links in the box for more information on how to help refugees or to just simply learn more about the situations that are going on we'll see you very soon with our third and last part of our inclusion series but until then we hope you take care and we'll catch you again very soon